Creative Babble. Picture this, a foggy evening, the whisper of secrets in the air, and an invitation to step back into the glamorous and mysterious 1920s. That's the backdrop of June's Journey, the game that's been keeping me glued to my phone lately. Instead of doom scrolling on social media, I am actually playing the part of June Parker, a daring detective with a personal mission to solve her sister's murder. And let me tell you, it is a roller coaster of emotions and puzzles. What's to love? Well, first of all, the thrill of hunting for hidden objects. I'm a sucker for these kinds of games. It's kind of like those books that we grew up with, but with a storyline that keeps thickening. Plus, the game takes place in New York to Paris, uncovering clues of scandalous family secrets that make you feel like a real detective. If you're ready for a dose of mystery, romance, and the glamour of the 1920s, June's Journey is waiting for you. Download it for free on iOS and Android, and let's see who cracks the case first. What was the first sign that you started realizing that this smells like bullshit? I, you know, when I first went out, very first night I went out with him, it smelled like bullshit. There was a scent, an aroma of bullshit hovering. This is Abby Elling, and she's telling me about her first date with a man we'll call the commander. Um, he, 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 he told me we were at dinner and he told me that, there, that he had been the medical doctor at Guantanamo and one of his patients was uh, Osama bin Laden. And I said, what? Keep in mind, this first date takes place in 2010. Osama bin Laden was not in Guantanamo. He was hiding in Pakistan and will be killed a year later in 2011. We know that now, but back then, Abby Elling figured maybe the commander knew something we didn't. And I said, what? That's not possible. That makes no sense. He said, yes, this is the truth. And I said, I, I, how is that possible? The Bush administration would want this to come out because it would let everyone know that they nailed bin Laden, you know? And he said, well, the president doesn't know. And I thought hmm. that's even more insane. That's just nuts. But then I thought, well... You know, there are unknown unknowns and <laughs> there are things that we don't know. And I don't know anything about the military. So maybe this is true. I don't know. I don't know how it works. He said he worked with the CIA. He said he worked or had worked with the CIA. He said he'd been a Navy SEAL. So he told me all of these things. And so someone has to do these jobs. But my stomach was churning a bit at that moment. I thought something's wrong here. I think the irony of your story is that you're a journalist, right? And yep. you're a journalist, not just any journalist. You're a journalist that contributes to the New York Times. You know, you're, you're a smart cookie. And for somebody like you to get duped is kind of surprising. Journalists are people, too. For me, it was more like I can be a journalist my whole life and just be suspicious of everybody, or I can try and be a person and be a person in a relationship when maybe you have to curb your natural suspicion. The bin Laden story was one of the commander's many lies. Abby Elling was duped hard. She was bamboozled by a man she almost married. And fortunately for her, he didn't con her out of thousands of dollars. No, this is not that type of story. This story is about being on the receiving end of deception. I mean, it was embarrassing. She had to call off the wedding. She had to tell her friends it was over. 
but for years she held this part of her life close because, well, she was ashamed that someone like her, a journalist, was made to look like a fool. She decided it was time to tell her story in her new book titled Duped, Double Lives, False Identities, and the Con Man I Almost Married. So we are calling him the commander, right? And why did you choose to do that? Two things. I didn't want to hurt his kids. You know, they didn't ask for this. And they have his last name. And there was no reason to do that to them. That's There's just no reason. End of story. That's A. And then B, the other thing was... I'm not, it's not a revenge. It's not a revenge story. It's not like I'm trying to humiliate the guy. Here's what we know about the commander. He was in fact a doctor. He had been in private practice in Los Angeles. And then he left and he went to work in the Naval Hospital. The rest, well, it's subject to bullshit. Everything about him, as he describes it, is larger than life. And you know, he told you another wild story about his ex-wife. What was that? He told me that he rescued her when they were when she was held hostage in Iran in 1990. And like, why would she be held hostage? Right. And I said, well, I said, why would she? And I said, what were we doing in Iran then? He said, no, it was a secret mission. You would never have heard about it. And it was when I, um, it was when she had some family issue and with her uncle and the Iranian government and they took her hostage and so I had to swoop in and save her. And again, it was undercover, it was a secret op, so I wouldn't have known about this. Same thing as I wouldn't have known that he was, um, he himself had been held hostage in China in a cell and they, he was beaten and that was why he had screaming nightmares in the middle of the night and why he also uh, slept with the television on and the lights on because he was afraid of the dark. And all this is plausible because he did, in fact, work at the Pentagon, right? The commander had a tall tale for every occasion, from medically treating bin Laden for his kidneys down to the itty-bitty keyhole scar on his belly. He had a scar on his abdomen. He told me it was from A, a college pole vaulting accident, and B, that he had gotten shot. And that was part of what happened when he, and that was that came when he was trying to escape from the Chinese. <laughs> I know, it's absurd. It's absurd. And that was the other thing, though. The stories were so ludicrous that I thought they have to be true because nobody would make this up. They're too absurd. But, of course, we're condensing this timeline to a couple minutes, right? Where, in reality, it wasn't like bullshit 100% of the time, right? wasn't bullshit 100% of the time. Here's the thing. He, he was, you know, he was just a good, he was just supposed to be a good guy and he, he adored me. He seemed to adore me. That is intoxicating. So when the commander got down on one knee and proposed? Well, I said yes. I thought that this was something I was supposed to do. And it was, he was not, you know, like anyone else I'd ever been with. And I liked that. And he was, he was good, I thought, and decent and kind and smart and funny and responsible and reliable. So, you know, I I think this is really interesting because, you know, you're smitten, right? I mean, like, this is a guy and you're, you know, you're, you're romantically involved with him. You've kind of put on the blinders, but the people around you... Are they kind of sensing that maybe something's not right? My mother 
my mother said something is not right here. She's like, when I told her the, the Bin Laden thing, she said, that's not right. There's something not right. She said, there's also something not right why he left private practice. Nobody leaves a lucrative private practice in, in you know, wealthy Los Angeles. doesn't make sense. And she said, I wish you could call the ex-wife, but of course you can't, which is true. I wasn't going to call her and start doing research on this guy. You know, that would be terrible. So um, another friend of mine, I was talking to him and he said, you know, well, maybe you should call a uh, private eye, you know, but I didn't think that would be a loving way to kick off a relationship. (laughs) (laughs) One day while the commander was on a trip to Afghanistan, Abby stumbled across something disturbing. For a long time, you're, you're kind of, you had these seeds of doubt, but now, now you're confronted with like an actual thing. I found an email that he had written his uh, draft that he had written to his uh, ex-wife. It was just on the computer and I, I wasn't even reading his emails, you know, and it said, listen, just so you know, um, if I survive this, you're reading this because I, I died. But if I had survived this, then I want you to know that I would have tried to get back a relationship with you and start again. And I'm sorry for the pain I caused you all this stuff. I don't know what's going on here. So I said to him, I called him. I said, do you want to get back together with your ex-wife? And what he did was what always happens when someone's going on the offense is they attack you and they mm-hmm. just go right after you. And you're the one with the problem. And he makes me, he made me feel like a really bad person for invading his privacy. I said, I don't really care right now. I want to know what you're doing. You know, I'm, I'm wearing a ring on my finger for me. I don't even, I can't trust anything anymore. I just can't trust anything. Yeah. It was really crazy making, you know, we were only together a year. It was not that long. I was looking for some good old fashioned infidelity. I, I, at least that was something that was verifiable. You'd know what was going on, you know, but this was like secret operations and strange emails. And then he got sick from, he was, he had chronic malaria, he told me. And we finally broke up when I went out for dinner with him and we talked about, he liked this, he loved the meal. It was the, my parents and him and myself. We went out to dinner. He raved about the meal. He loved it. He loved it. Loved it. And then when they left, he said, God, that was terrible. Mm. And I remember thinking, I said to him, why did you lie? They didn't care. They didn't make it. What are you, why are you lying? And he said, I wanted them to feel good. And I just thought that's absurd. And that's when I realized if he could lie about something so inconsequential and stupid, he could lie about anything. So after that, we, I was sort of on my way out the door, but yeah. I, I left. I left Washington. I said, I can't do this anymore. I'm out of here. And I left. I went back to New York City. And that New Year's Eve, I was going to go out with friends. And I remember thinking, again, I'm a really bad person. And I said to him, okay, well, let's meet in New York and you'll come out with me and my friends. And he said, I can't because there's a chemical attack in the water in New York. And I have to come up and uh, deal with it. So I can't hang out with you. <laughs> and <laughs> that was that that was that. And he later told me that he had helicoptered into the city and then he helicoptered out. And I just thought, okay, yeah, not not this is just nuts. I'm out of here. That was the end. I mean, you know, it's plausible. Everything that he says is plausible. I mean, there's probably all sorts of things that we don't see in the in the background of these like unsung heroes and he could have been one of them but you know he could have been thank you he could have been that's the thing thank you i appreciate i appreciate you saying that because he could have been well and- because you know why he could have been cuz he 
he, all his lies were grounded in enough truth, right? So, like, if he didn't work for the Pentagon, I think he would have been like, whatever, dude. But he kind of did work for the Pentagon. And that's where all these things happen. That's right. That's exactly right. He did. He did work in the Pentagon. And I met some of his colleagues whom he worked with. Who, You know, I, I, I met his colleagues he worked with. I, I met, again, his siblings, his sibling, his kids, um, who knew everything about his, him and his job. Yeah. The relationship may have been over, but what was the commander trying to hide? I mean, there was no way to tell. But one day... The mystery was solved when Abby got an unexpected phone call. I got a phone call from NCIS, Naval Criminal Investigative Service, and it was, there was a doctor who was writing prescriptions for Vicodin, Viagra, you know, Cialis, all sorts of things, and I was, he was using my name. I was one of the names he was using. Did I know this doctor and did I have a prescription? And I said, no, I don't. I know this guy, but no, I don't have a prescription. He was using my name. He was using people he worked with at the Pentagon. He was using his dead mother, his dead father. His, you know, He was making a patient. He was trying to get drugs. And so he would go and say, I'm Dr. So-and-so and I'm picking up medicine for my patients. To this day, Abby doesn't know if he was using the drugs for himself or trying to sell it. But what we do know is that the commander was arrested and sentenced in 2012. He lost his medical license and was eventually discharged from the Navy. He avoided a trial and took a plea deal and was sentenced to two years in prison. I, you know, had to go make a statement against him. Other people did too. And I, I kinked it to journalist mode. That's when I found everything out. When I made this, that's what I called his ex-wife and I called people he worked with at the Pentagon and it turns out that the commander had not one, but two ex-wives and was engaged to another woman when he proposed to Abby. But, you know, what I want to know is why Abby? Why did he choose you? I, you know, and that is the million dollar question. And, and because I, I, you know, said this somewhere, on, I think it was the Today Show. I said, you know, because if you're going to dupe somebody, you dupe someone with a lot of money, right? You might as well get something out of it. <laughs> I mean, I'm charming. I'm adorable. I'm a lot of fun. I'm, you know, reasonably intelligent. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he wanted to be around that. On the other hand, I'm a pain in the ass and I ask a ton of questions. And, you know, I don't know why he, what he wanted from me. I don't know. Abby's book, Duped, isn't just about the commander. It's really a book about all the little ways that you can be deceived. It's pretty much pretend radio printed on paper. It's not just about con artists. It's about why people pretend to be someone else. So that's your story, right? But your book, I mean, that's just the beginning of your book, right? Your book really starts exploring every crevice of, of lying and deception. And one of the things, and I've been doing this podcast for a while, and I, I still haven't visited these sites, but you found some things that I'd never even heard of that existed, right? So like careerexcuse.com. Yep. What's that all about? Career excuse. In fact, I'm going to go there right now. They should thank Yeah, you. I'm going to do that too. Let's go to careerexcuse.com. Career <laughs> it's a uh, reference service for, basically, it's, it's, you can get fake references for jobs that you didn't have, for jobs that didn't exist. Oh my God. Okay. This is so, crazy. Yeah. $69 a month. Then this one was good. Broapp.net. Broapp.net. Yep. That's another one. And that is basically, you can get an excuse. 
It's your clever relationship wingman. It's message your girlfriend's sweet nothing so you can spend more time with the bros. So you're sending her messages saying, you know, missing you, can't wait to see you. Bro is your clever relationship. Sorry, that was, I just put it on. But it's, no, but yeah. that's hysterical. It's, I mean, it, it's, it's really. Go, go for it, yeah. Okay, here we go, ready? Bro right. app is your clever relationship wingman. Bro app automatically sends your girlfriend personalized messages so you can spend more time with the bros. Bro app is smart. It will only message your girlfriend if it's safe to do so. Bro app knows your girlfriend's house is a no bro zone. Set the time of day you want your messages sent, and BroApp takes care of the rest. Anyway. So, I mean, I think the point that you were trying to make is that, you know, you got these old school uh, dupers, like the commander, but like now it's kind of turned into a business, right? It's like this industry now. You and I, I mean, everyone lies at least, you know, multiple times throughout the day, right? Yeah. Like we're... We're all con artists to some degree, right? Yep, we are. We, I mean, you know, whether it's, it's not, I mean, we have to be con artists. You think about it, we have to, we can't run around the world telling everybody what we want to, what we think of them or what we, how we feel about them because we'll end up either, you know, murdered or just without friends. Um, so, you know, you, we need social niceties. We need white lies. It was the invention of lying. That's what it was. And, you yeah. know, so we, we need that. We need, we need that. That's, that's a so, lying with social lubricant. And again, it's why the, the smarter kids and, and the more creative kids are, are the po- most popular kids are the ones who are also better liars. Right. That you could say yeah, the same thing about, no. po- about politicians. They tell people what they want to hear. This is kind of, I think, the whole point of the book is that from a biological standpoint, you know, once you get duped, it doesn't matter if it was a year-long relationship or a 20-year relationship. It leaves, like, battle scars, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, I, th- I think it's a PTSD. And, I mean, it's a form of it. And that's what other people I've talked to who've been deceived have said that. It's, it's emotional trauma. A one woman I know called it a P- post-deception stress disorder, PTSD, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, um, it really does because it really just, it's, it's gaslighting you, which is a psychological term. I mean, it's just, it's really making you question your re- own reality. It's making you question your own identity. It's making you question your own grip on things and your own intelligence. And then when you find out that you've been deceived, you feel like a complete and other asshole. <laughs> you feel like yeah. such a fool. You but know. I mean, but what I've learned from doing this is that it doesn't matter who you are. Like, that's the thing. People think that, oh, you know, it's stupid people that fall for this. I mean, I've met so many smart people that once they're in it, it's like quicksand, you know? The, the smarter you are, the more, lo- you, the, the more you think you cannot be duped because you're so smart. Mm-hmm. And you think you're in, invulnerable. And so, which pulls you down deeper, right? Right, because it would never happen to me. I'm a, I'm a journalist. I'm, I'm smart. I have, you know, I can suss out deception. Yeah, and then boom, it happens. You're a prime target. I'm prime target. Prime. But you know, but I found, I mean, just by doing this show, that like I I interviewed a, a woman who preaches to people that they should give bleach enemas to their kids to cure them from autism, mm-hmm. and 
I got the sense that she really believes that. And like this cult leader, you know, she really believes her stuff. And so I'm thinking in order to be a really effective con artist, you really, really have to you believe have to it. Believe it. You know? That's why I think that this guy, the commander, believed his lies. I think he absolutely, I mean, he slept with a tennis racket next to the bed, you know, he, because he, th- he thought that would protect him from the bad guys if they came in. He, he legitimately screamed in the middle of the night. He had these screaming nightmares that he, again, he told me was from being held hostage. Yeah, you were, you were talking about a study that they found that the brain adapts to dishonesty. Isn't that fascinating? You know, making... Yeah, so like maybe biologically the first time you lie, that there's something physiologically happening in your brain that would make, you know, you have a physical reaction. But if you lie, if you continue to lie, what happens? Right. If you continue, eventually you'll believe that. Eventually you'll believe that. And it was actually it's a study by a woman named Tali Sherot. Um, she's a cognitive neuroscientist at the University College London, and she said, you know, after a while, the negative value of lying, the negative feeling, is just not there. So when you first lie, the amygdala and the insula, which are areas associated with emotion, they light up. But by the 12th yeah. time you do it, the brain is acclimated. So it's gotten used to it. I mean, that's, that is just, think about that for a minute. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, you're ba- basically like that stealth bomber. You know, you're undetectable at that point. Yeah, that's right. I, I'm fascinated by like people who um, try to erase their tra- tracks, you know, and just like disappear off the yep. grid. I, but I want to ask you a question. What is it about that? Why is that so interesting to you? You know, <laughs> Okay, so I, I, I kind of suspected that you were going to ask me that because I haven't been duped, not in the classic terms. Um, I am fascinated. Um, I don't know. I, I, I want to understand these Why? people. Is it you know? because you're afraid that you could be duped and so you're trying to protect yourself? Is it that you want to learn how they do it? So, All right. Yeah. I have an answer for you. I do. I do have an answer for you. I don't think I've ever really thought about okay. it. Like, but <clears throat> I've always said that I would make the world's worst lawyer because I could like, let's say I'm on in the defense and then like the prosecutor gets up and like, you know, does his argument. He might convince me and like that would be like my worst nightmare because I'm so gullible, right? Like if people, I, I take people still? literally. Yes. But you're a journalist. Yeah, but that doesn't... Okay, so you know how you described yourself as curious? I am not curious by nature. Really? I I forced myself, when I was a photojournalist, um, I forced myself to be curious because literally there could be an elephant in the room and I might not notice it because I'm like in my own zone. (laughs) You know, I'm like kind of spacey and creative. And so I had to train my brain to be curious and like to observe the world around me. And like that wasn't like a, a natural instinct for me. So I think you're right. It almost is kind of like a self-defense mechanism because I, I can uh, sympathize with everyone I do a story about, you know, like I could totally, you know, we laugh about it and I think things turned out well for you um, and things turn out well eventually for most people, you know, but 
nobody wants to go through that. You know what right. I mean? Like, I'm sure if you had a do-over, you probably didn't want to go through that again, right? Would I want to go through that again? No, I, I mean, at this point, it'd be, it's boring. I mean, you know, I've, I've done it already, so I don't need to go through it again. <laughs> I've, I've sort of done it, so now I'm ready for something. You know, it's, it's time for, at least in the romantic arena, it's time for a, you know, a good relationship. Abby Elling is a regular contributor to the New York Times. Her new book is appropriately titled Duped, Double Lives, False Identities, and the Con Man I Almost Married. You can find the link to her book in the show notes or just search Duped on Amazon or wherever you get your books. Next season on Pretend Radio... I'm not going to talk to just one fugitive. I'm going to talk to three, all with very wildly different stories. Like this woman. You know, they, they, the label that I got was the soccer mom. I was a stay-at-home mom just doing volunteer in their classrooms and taking them to soccer. And now a housewife living in the, um, the suburbs, keeping it secret that I was a fugitive. But, you know, on the surface, you're just just an uh, ordinary suburban family. You're, did your family know about your secret life at the time? Uh, well, no, you know. <laughs> when do you bring that up, by the way? And she was on the run for almost 30 years. She was just a suburban mom. Very unassuming. How did she get away with it for so long? Plus... In the 70s, during the Cold War, the CIA was studying individuals with special powers. They were hoping to use their abilities for psychic warfare. The Soviets had psychics lined up and ready to go. It was the arm race of the mind. One of the CIA's subjects was a man named Uri Geller. What the CIA believed, and the scientists there believe, is that if they had seven or eight Uri Gellers, they could probably dematerialize an entire city. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm urging you to read this because this is actually in the documentation of the CIA. And I know it sounds so science fiction and go to the CIA reports and read what they say. I mean, these are actual CIA studies. These have apparently included being able to move small, solid objects across the tabletop, influencing a variety of metal objects such as keys and silverware and metal bars and metal rods. I don't believe they're tricking us. The government can't be fooled, right? Well, maybe. Two young magicians signed up for a parapsychology study at Washington University. And they spent four years being studied by scientists. I'd like to ask these two gentlemen a very simple, direct question. Can you tell us how do you do it? I'll do it. Be quite honest. We cheat. Is there a thing called spontaneous PK? And these are yeah. like bursts of yeah. psychic abilities that psychics have that are beyond mm-hmm. their control. Um, it's one of the things that convinced them that Mike and I might have some psychic abilities. So they started hiding silverware and coins and so forth, all under the electronic equipment. So I started bending up all those things, 
And when they came back later and they started finding all these bent objects in a room that I was supposedly not even in, that sort of convinced them that we may have an ability. And they were fooling them the whole time. How did they get away with it? This is just a small taste of what's coming for season four. I can't wait for you to listen to it. I have almost everything recorded. Now it's just the process of piecing it all together. Look for Pretend on Facebook and Twitter, and I'll let you know as soon as the season comes out. Until then, thank you so much for listening, and tell a friend. Talk to you soon. Joel. And I'm Phil, and we're the co-host of Florida Men, a true crime comedy podcast. Each week on Florida Men, we bring you stories from the shady side of the Sunshine State, starring America's most prolific criminal, Florida Man. Stories with headlines like, Florida Man carrying live alligator chases people in a convenience store. And Florida Woman calls 911 on a possum. You can find Florida Men on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are found. Creative Babble.